0: give Bob props, this is harder to remember to turn on. Turn if you would to Philippians chapter 3. Before we get started, um, when you see Doyle, thank him because he came in here last night and it was over 90 degrees in this room. So he had to swap out a, uh, a thermostat and uh, sacrificed one upstairs for, uh, for all of us down here. So thank him from a reasonable distance next time you get the opportunity. Philippians 3, we're going to be looking at the uh, first three verses uh, in the third chapter. Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. How do you define what a Christian is? One professing a belief in Jesus as the Christ? One professing in the beliefs, in the teachings of Jesus? One born in a Christian nation which by the way does not exist one born into a Christian family one who accepts Jesus into their heart one who follows the moral laws and teachings of Jesus in the Bible Graham.org writes this on their website the definition is one who has experienced a spiritual new birth through the regenerating work of the holy spirit in that same realm what does not define or verify being a christian having an experience does not define you as being christian it's actually one of the mormon doctrines the the burning of the gut how that they know that they're right being baptized does not verify being a Christian. Bob spoke of that last week. Church membership does not necessarily define being a Christian. Morality. You run into a Mormon. They're some of the most moral people that you will run into. Does it define Christianity? Same with Jehovah's Witnesses. Does knowledge of the Scriptures make you a Christian? Surely Judas had knowledge of the Scriptures. What about the Pharisees? They all had knowledge of the Scriptures. What about being a Christian author? Saw a story yesterday from a progressive. Christian author who wrote books for children. He has decided he's homosexual and is divorcing his wife and leaving her and their three children. Does brilliantly white teeth and a 25,000 member church that's held in a former basketball arena verify that you're a Christian? Paul provides us with a very compelling and comprehensive, as well as pithy, definition in today's study. Starting with first verse. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Paul uses the word finally. Loipos. Now, anybody, Bob's going to rip me on my Southern, Southeast Tennessee translation of the Greek I learned on Blue Letter Bible. So, I'm just calling that out. Finally, we're halfway through Philippians at this point, and Paul says, finally. we got three more chapters to go. So, it's not necessarily the finality of this chapter. But we know that he's writing to a church, and he confirms it again here. He says, finally, my brother's Rejoice in the Lord. The Greek, "Hiero in kurios. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a command. We are to rejoice in the Lord. It's not a suggestion. He doesn't say. Finally, my brothers, you might consider rejoicing in the Lord. I would suggest rejoicing in the Lord. What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord. He goes on. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. We need to learn from repetition. And Paul's glad to provide this to the church. It is safe for the Philippians to hear these truths once again. It is safe for us to hear repetition of the same scripture. The Judaizers who we're going to be talking about in this have not been mentioned in this epistle. So this is Section must be referencing to an earlier correspondence or or a previous teaching. But how many times do I need to hear the same teaching? Matthew Henry writes It is good for us often to hear the same truths, to revive the remembrance and strengthen the impression of things of importance. It is a wanton curiosity. To desire always to hear something new. Paul goes on to warn us against apostates. He continues, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Once again, a quote from Matthew Henry, it seems the church of the Philippians, though a faithful and flourishing church, was disturbed by the Judaizing teachers who endeavored to keep up the law of Moses and mix the observances of it with the doctrine of Christ and his institution. He begins the chapter with warnings against these seducers. Now the Judaizers were professing Christians who would follow Paul and try to influence his churches to practice the Old Testament law and traditions. They would combine the grace of God with works. And that's what you always see. God plus. Jesus plus. For salvation. Paul calls them dogs. Now dogs in this time were not the cute little fur babies that are all the rage today. Dogs were hated and disgusted. Think about the mongrel. Think about what you think of when you see a pack of vultures on the dead prey, or, or, or on, on carrion that's on the side of the road. This was what people thought of dogs. They're mongrels. They traveled in packs. They scavenged through the filth and the garbage. Jesus mentions dogs in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus from Luke. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The term dogs was very derogatory. From the Psalms, For dogs encompass me, A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Does that remind you of anybody? There is a prophecy of our Lord on Calvary. Now the Pharisees used the terms dog to describe the Gentiles. If a Jew said that the market was full of dogs, he wouldn't mean that it was full of canines roaming around he would mean that it was full of Gentiles. Y'all want to know what all y'all are? Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. What's funny, Paul turns the tables here and states to this Gentile church, Gentile church in Philippi that the Pharisees and the Judaizers are the actual dogs. He calls them evildoers. Now, the outline of, of the word kechos throughout the Bible is of bad nature, of a mode of thinking, feeling, or acting, troublesome, injurious, pernicious, destructive, and baneful. The, the translation is injurious. Bad, evil, harm, ill, noisome, wicked. This word is translated throughout the Bible as the evil and it's either the subject it's either used as the subject or it's used as a descriptor here are some of the uses the evil the evil one the evil day the evil deeds the evil person the evil spirits the evil things the evil desires the evil abominations How bad must an abomination be to be called an evil abomination? The evil diseases, the evil man, the evil woman. So Paul Paul here is not taking that whole only God can judge me stance. Paul is judging. Next he mentions the mutilation or those who mutilate the flesh also known as the false circumcision. Once again here, Paul's target is the Judaizers. He uses the word for mutilate, katatome. It means to cut up or to mutilate. What's funny with this word, the word for actual circumcision is paratome. So you, you have a difference. Keratome to paratome. In Philippi, in in the, in the Near East in this time, there were pagans of the day who mutilated their bodies to please and appease their gods. And Paul equates with the Judaizers who insisted on the work and sign of circumcision to those who mutilate the flesh. This still occurs today. It's called flagellants. It happens within the Roman Catholic Church. Um, Practitioners of an extreme form of mortification of their own flesh by whipping it with various instruments. Cats of nine tails, whips, you'll see it. Um, It actually began in the 14th century, and the Roman Catholic Church later condemned it as heretical. However, today it's still practiced throughout the world. If y'all will pay attention, every Holy Week, You'll start seeing stories come out of the South Pacific, uh, Malaysia, uh, different places showing flagellants where they're just people are walking down the street beating themselves bloody out of an appeasement. Paul, this isn't the only church that Paul deals with the Judaizers with. He also deals with the Galatians. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It comes from Galatians 3, 1-9. through 9. The Galatians were, were falling victim to this apostate Christianity. So Paul's very confrontational when he addresses them. Whereas in the book of Philippians, he is warning them against it. So what defines a Christian? Being known by God, being known by the world, and being known by ourselves. Back to Philippians verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 3. For we are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Here, we have Paul's three-part definition of a Christian. Those who worship by the Spirit of God. Those who glory in Christ Jesus. And those who put no confidence in the flesh. We're going to look at each of these. But first, we need to deal with the first part of the sentence for we are the circumcision. Christians are the true Jews. Test yourselves to make sure that you're walking in Christ Jesus. Use this in any time you open the scriptures as an opportunity to take an internal assessment. Romans 9, 6-8 reads, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all that are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Continuing in Romans uh, chapter 9, verse 25-27, As indeed he says in Hosea, Those who were not my people I will call my people, And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Simmer on that for a little bit. Because that's us. That's us before we were saved by the grace of God. We were not beloved. We were not his people. Continuing, And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Those who worship by the Spirit of God are true Christians back to the scriptures the tale of the woman at the well from John 4 the woman said to him sir I perceive that you are a prophet our fathers worshipped on this mountain but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship Jesus said to her woman believe me the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father You will worship what you do not know. Sorry. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Those who glory... In Christ Jesus are true Christians. We sing this so- song all the time. I want you to listen to the word of Edward, Edward Moat. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, entirely. Lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. In these times. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand His oath, His covenant and blood Support me in the whelming flood When every earthly prop gives way He then is all my hope and stay On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand what do you glory? Do you glory in your skill? Do you glory in your status? Do you glory in your family? Do you glory in your fortune or your fame? All of these are gifts of God. You, individually, are not responsible for any of them. From Job, and he said, Naked I came from the, my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We are those who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul states this because we have to be reminded of this. Our carnality will always default to our doing our own thing in our flesh. Either Jesus does it all or he does nothing. We don't have to strive and get the second blessing. We don't have to work for speaking in tongues. The second blessing I was in seminary classes with with a friend who had left a, a, a Pentecostal church and the second blessing they refer to is, is the speaking in tongues and if you've not spoken in tongues you're only half full there's a, there's a deviation within the, within the body there now I am a cessation I believe that the sign gifts have ceased but this is trusting in the flesh because if you don't speak in tongues you end up being a second class Christian you say, brother, brother so-and-so, he's a really good man, but, you know, Lord love him. He hadn't received a second blessing. And it's strange that in a theology where you take the leap towards salvation, it's your decision that God is sovereign in the speaking of tongues. But God is not sovereign in salvation. Nor do we trust in the sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church. There're several there's seven sacraments that the Roman Catholics hold to. One is baptism. Baptism is the sacrament that frees man from original sin and makes him and and from personal guilt. That makes him a member of Christ and his church. It is thus the door to a new and supernatural life. We do not baptize infants. Confirmation. The sacrament of confirmation. And remember, sacrament is a way of salvation. That's what the word leads to. The sacrament of confirmation completes the the sacrament of baptism. That's illogical in its own. So if baptism is the sacrament of rebirth to a new and supernatural life, confirmation is the sacrament of maturity and coming of age. The Eucharist. The doctrine of the Holy Eucharist consists that of the Eucharist sacrifice, the sacrificial meal and the sacrificial food or otherwise expressive, the Mass of Communion or the doctrine of the Mass of Communion and of the real presence. Now this is capitalized in theirs. Now what you all may not know is that every Sunday at every mass in every Catholic church they are re-sacrificing the Lord Jesus Christ in their theology. It's called transubstantiation where the wafer and the wine become the body and blood of Christ penance the Catholic church believes it can forgive sin as to penance if the church is to fulfill its entire in its entirely her task of saving mankind she needs the power to forgive sin they believe in the the anointing of the sick um these are a lot of times what you see the last rites. According to the teaching of great theologians, the holy anointing makes the man who stands at the threshold of eternity and loyally cooperates with the grace of, of the sacrament ready to enter directly upon the beatific vision. Matrimony. Is it funny? that a religion that, that calls for the celibacy of their clergy has matrimony as a sacrament. And the holy orders. The holy orders are what allows their priesthood to sacrifice. Here it goes. Above all, if Christ wished to renew the sacrifice of the cross throughout the ages and all over the world as a sacrifice of the new law and the Holy Mass. I don't believe he did. He had to allow other men to share in his priesthood. For if there there is a true sacrifice, there must be a priesthood ordained and authorized by God from whose hand God will accept this sacrifice. We are Protestants. Beyond Protestants, we are Baptists. Beyond Baptists, we're Reformed Baptists. Semper Reformata, always reforming. We are a priesthood of believers. But how often do we as Baptists trust in our own traditions? In the altar call? There are no altars. Bob mentioned last week this is a communion table. Our carpets are red, but not with the shed blood of animals. There has never been an altar on any Baptist altar. What about the sanctuary? We are the sanctuary. We are the church. This is the big room. You are no more holy praying at the front of this church than you are in your closet or on the road going to work. This is where we start relying on tradition. This is where we want to fall back to what we can do in our own hands. Yet, Christ supplemented is Christ supplanted. I want end with reading the verses again that we, we covered. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, to write the same things to you, is no, trouble for to, is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Salvation is through Christ alone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, uh, we thank you.